You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, we got open lines, 248-539-9797. And uh, finally, uh, we got our snow day. <laughs> uh, that uh, Dan and I are used to doing this uh, show every You've been time. So disappointed the first several There's shows. No snow. no snow because it was automatic in past years. Automatic, automatic. You know, and this is this is nothing compared to what we've had to drive through to get it's here. It's a little disappointing. It was easy to get here. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I always like it because you know, <laughs> get in here. The studio feels warm. I want to have like a, baseball. Yeah. I want to have a great story of fighting my way here through the knee high drifts on the freeway. It wasn't bad. But you know the good part, uh, spring training's coming, all that stuff. And it catchers always... Catchers and catchers, Pat. Yeah. Three weeks. Three weeks, right. And you get down there and, uh, you know, you see some of the video from back, uh, you know, from Lakeland. You see the palm trees, you know, a little bit of uh, beautiful Lake Parker there. And uh, trust me, uh, when you go down there in the mid-February, sometimes it's a little chilly with that wind coming off of Lake Parker there. And you'll see uh, <laughs> Double D Dan Dickerson in his... Uh, little uh jacket there uh it's not always but i'll tell you what compared to what it is right now paradise i'll never forget a year when doug karsh and scott anderson came down (laughs) (laughs) they forgot to bring their jackets and they're up on the concourse and they'll they'll tell you this i mean it was it wasn't a bad day it was maybe 58 right right but up on that concourse with no sun and the wind just whistling through they were in blankets i mean (laughs) It was absolutely freezing, like a three-hour broadcast from the concourse in the shade and the wind. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they, they weren't feeling the the Florida warmth that day. Well, it, it, a lot of days it's really nice. but it's, it, it's the best time of year to be in Florida. It is, and I don't, I don't mean to say, hey, you know, it's a lot colder down there than what you think, but it can be. It can be, especially middle of February. And, I, and a lot of teams, they talk about, well, go to Arizona, it's hotter and all that. But spring training in Florida, to me, is special. Uh, I, I, personally, I hope the Tigers never leave Lakeland. I think that's just such a special thing. Uh, they've been going there well, since the, yeah, 1934, the, same they're spot. They're locked up I mean, through, uh, they're going to make it at least a 100-year anniversary. So, so you've had a, a lot of folks working really hard down there in Lakeland to make sure they stay, and the Tigers certainly want to stay. They've upgraded the facilities a great deal. I'm biased, but it's the best in Florida. It really is. In terms of the total facility, you you can't beat it. And it's not like uh, when I first started covering the team, there was like uh, an Olive Garden, uh, a Hooters, (laughs) and, uh, you know, the Red Barn Steakhouse out there. That was it. That was it. And, uh, you know, I stayed at the Holiday Inn Central, which was a little rugged. (laughs) The team hotel. Yeah, the team hotel, man. (laughs) Right over there by CDD the Hotel. That's the main thing. Yeah, you know, and uh, grew down through the years. Now they got a nice little freeway. They, they even have Marriotts there and stuff. You know, which would that would have been unthinkable. You know, back in the day, man, when you got that and you you head over to Winter Haven all the time. Tires either playing the Red Sox or Cleveland. You know, head over there as a and everybody was around. The one bad thing you got to travel a little bit for you uh, compared to like when I was covering the team. I had it made, man. It was closer to Plant City one year where I was staying than it was uh, when the Reds were there. So I guess I miss those teams. But uh, you get to see Yeehaw Junction all the time. I don't. Good for you. (laughs) Well, in the last week, since we were last on, uh, we had kind of a a little mini caravan with Eric Haas, Matt Manning, Matt Boyd, uh, A.J. Hinch kind of making the rounds 
Remember, there used to be the caravan this time of year. Uh, it's kind of a since the pandemic, this is really the first time they've had even a kind of a little mini one. Uh, had a public event yesterday with AJ and Scott Harris. Uh, it was uh, addressing workers from Little C, or I'm sorry, from Red Wings and Tigers. Uh, all the people who work in those organizations, and they were just terrific. I mean, it was kind of all off the record, but I mean, just setting the tone for this year, and you couldn't help but get fired up. Right. Talking about, I mean, Scott's talked about this publicly, so I'm not sharing anything that's off the record, but just the whole idea of all the moves that have been made this offseason in the service of, you know, enhancing the player experience, meaning you want to make this a destination point, right, for players to come to Detroit. Correct. Young and old. Well, how do you do that? By right. all the things they've been doing this winter, whether it's staffing, coaching, technology, whatever it might be. And then he's talked about the need for infusion of young talent. They have done that. But we talked yesterday a lot about the the type of person they are targeting. And this, to me, is what separates the good, the really good presidents of baseball operations slash GMs from the rest of the pack. That ability to find out about the person you're getting as well as the player. And I think there's been a lot of work and effort into that. And then now you know what you're adding in terms of the personality to go with the talent. And we're going to be talking to Matt Veerling, traded from the Phillies to the Tigers in that Gregory Soto trade later on in the yeah, show. Yeah, 7.45. But how important that is, and I think they've, they've spent a lot of time on that. So while there hasn't been that one big earth-shaking move this winter, just remember that Scott Harris was hired for a reason. And this is a talent of his. And – of course, he leans on A.J. because A.J. has wide connections throughout the league. Finding out what kind of person is this? What's the work ethic? What's he like when no one's watching? What's he doing? Well, that's a key. You know, and I, and I just think, and then you add, now you're adding a specific type of personality, a specific type of person who, as Scott Harris has talked about, is desperate to win. And you mix it all together in the clubhouse, and now you've got a chance for the the whole to be greater than the sum of the parts. And I, I think that that really struck me yesterday with all the moves they have made. That That's kind of where it all starts. And then obviously you're adding talent and you're targeting certain types of talent and skills. And Matt Veerling is going to be, a, I think, a nice jumping off point for us tonight to talk about some of the skills they are adding and with the rule changes, some of the things that that kind of athlete can take advantage of. Well, Dan, you know, my sense of it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, on this because you've been down there and talked to different people. Uh, my sense of it is uh, the Tigers organization, they had a systemic meltdown last year. Let's call it what it is. I think there's a realization by the Tigers organization that they had a systemic meltdown. It was a terrible year. There wasn't anything really good about it. A couple of minor league players may have moved on, but you really got to search for the silver lining in that cloud. So I think there, you know, people are like, well, it's a low key off season and all this. Well, you know, it's it, what are what are they going to say to you? What are they going to do? What are they, you know, they, how about doing it? And then, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you know, talk a little more about it. But they've been, to me, uh, quietly uh, going about their business. And if somebody follows the game closely, uh, like we do, and, and I'm not saying this because you know me, I'd, I'd rip the living, you know what, out of them if I thought it was wrong. Uh, I I think that's probably a real good tactic right now. And it's worth repeating, the the, the hitters especially, because I think they off, there's going to be so much focus on the offense. As Scott Harris has said the b- biggest way to bring stability to an organization that's lost, let's face it, a lot of games for the last five years is pitching and defense. 
but there's going to be a lot of focus on the offense because, again, historically bad last year, but everybody they have added is somebody who can fit the description of someone who has an idea of the strike zone and an understanding of the strike zone. Those are the guys, as we've talked about on this show, that you can work with with this reimagined coaching staff that A.J. Hinch has three new hitting instructors, a new pitching instructor, so you've got three of each now, three pitching coaches, three hitting coaches. Those are the players you can really work with to make better. Now the next step is understanding not just what's a ball and what's a strike, but what pitches you can do damage on within the strike zone, understanding the count, the situation, and everything else. Well, that might sound nuanced. Maybe it is. I don't know. It depends on what fan is listening to us right now. You know, you got some who are really into the game, and they would be classified as seam heads. Uh, you got others who, you know, they're casual fans that just love baseball, and when the Tigers win, they really get into it. When they don't win, they're not so much into it. But those are the things that win. Uh, the other thing, too, is I would ask you a question. Uh, when they had the big Javi Baez and Eduardo Rodriguez uh, news conferences last year, do you remember them? Remember the press conferences? Yeah. Because I was there, yeah, yeah, sure. No, but, yeah, but <laughs> how many fans do you think remember that? Yeah, I mean – I don't know. Well, I, I, think, I, I, think I think people were excited. I do. I do think I, they were uh, yeah, excited because the Tigers and, were and I said, money. And I said at the point, yeah, it's fine about that. Right. And, I, you know, I have no issue. And I'm not taking a shot at anybody when I say right. that. But my point about it is it's quickly forgotten when there's not production to it. And then you look at the term of the contract that's all on the player's side. So there's been an offseason in which baseball's flush with money. Teams have thrown money at it. I mean, in, in some cases, it looks like they're trying to stack talent rather than piecing together the puzzle of a roster. I agree. San Diego, for example, is like, who's going to play short? Texas is in that boat. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it it makes a splash, but it it only really pays off if during the summer everybody gets into it. You may get a a bump in ticket sales for a while, but if the Tigers go out and they play good baseball, uh, somebody like Verlene who is coming to the team, we'll talk to him at 745, has these tools, he's 26, he's going to be like in the prime of his prime, just entering it now, uh, and, and I'd never heard of that guy, you know, that type of thing. That's the type of player that often blooms and blossoms in a situation, and this Detroit is the land of opportunity for him, <laughs> all right? In Philly, he'd be a, a, a part-time player probably in the same role. Here, he's got a chance to, this is his chance, he's a one opportunity, use Eminem or whatever. So, uh you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll talk to him at 745. Coming up next, we, we'd love to hear from you. We've got open lines. Give us a call. Let's talk some Tiger baseball. Yeah, give us a call. We'd like to talk to you, 248-539-9797. Dan and I can sit here and get lost in all this stuff uh, for a long time, but we'd love to hear from you. What do you think about the Tigers? What would be an acceptable season to you? Um, looking at the offseason, uh, I know a lot of fans have told me they're underwhelmed, and I tried to tell them, hey, you know, this is where they should be at this point. Um, and uh, I think it's actually been promising. By the way, uh, did you see the uh, coaching staff picture? It looks larger than the uh, you know '84 World well, Series team picture. I don't. They had a picture of all the coaches. It was like <laughs> they got a lot of coaches now. So all you want to get on the coaches, you got like two at each spot now. You can get on if they don't hit or pitch. I, I think I heard. Uh, I think it was AJ who said there's no limits on how many can be on the bench now, which is good. Yeah. Well, they got a, <laughs> one thing about Comerica Park. That dugout's huge. <laughs> Wouldn't have been so good at Old Tiger Stadium, but Comerica Park, it's yeah, perfect. It could accommodate the old September call-ups of 
10 extra players. Oh, that Tiger Stadium clubhouse, man, there's no way. The coaches would be dressing in uh, the umpire's room, which was about the size of a good shower at somebody's house. Anyway, it's Tiger Talk, a 97 won the ticket. Two four eight five three nine ninety seven ninety seven. We get open lines talking about the Tigers. Always great to be in here, especially on a snowy night, knowing spring training is coming, and uh, having a lot of fun. And uh, one of the things that Dan and I were talking about was uh, the Tigers and their base running. And uh, I think one of the aspects that you might see uh, with the Tigers this year, with Vesling, who is in the top ninety seven percent, he was the twentieth fastest runner in Major League Baseball of anybody who appeared in a game last year at the major league level, and uh, some of the other things that you might see uh, is more athleticism from the Tigers this coming Yeah, I, I think that was a big point of emphasis, and I don't know exactly. I mean, I figure all these guys are athletics that they, that they have added, but Matt Vierling is, I think, the guy that they, they like to brag about because of that speed. Well, I mean, it stands, stands yeah. up, you know. Not a big base dealer, but I, I think he's an interesting player to kind of – Used to, as a jumping off point before we talked to him at 745, starting with base running and then also talking about a guy who's trying to not be such a ground ball guy, made some significant changes in getting the ball in the air last year to take advantage of the power that he has. Let's talk about base running because this year that everybody's talking about the pitch clock and the shift band. And we've, we've certainly talked about it on the air and we, we've talked about it, I think, a little bit on this show, but the whole idea that, that the key piece that goes along with that pitch clock is the limits on the throws over to first. There has to be that. Otherwise, the pitcher can just keep stepping off and resetting the clock. You get two disengagements. You can either step off twice or you can throw over to first twice. Each disengagement, quote-unquote, counts as one. You can just step off. That's one. You can step off, throw over. That's one. Throw over twice. Third time you throw over, you either have to pick it off or that runner's at second base. Rajay Davis has said, oh, my goodness, can't you just hear him too? If that was the rule... (laughs) When I was playing, yeah, absolutely. I'm gone uh, after two throws over. I know that's a green light. Now, it's not that simple for everybody, but for the speed guys, it almost is that simple. Well, it adds a stolen base. And one of the things, uh, like I don't complain that much about the game, you know, because I like the game. It doesn't, I'm not, but uh, some, some uh, fans, is there not enough stolen bases? Aren't they making this the bases a little bigger, too? And, three inches, right. and they haven't yet. But at some point, I think they are going to move second base in so that the two parts of the base facing the outfield are going to be within the right. square, the 90-degree square that right now goes through the middle of the bag. If that is right now the base is six inches or closer, first and second base, if that move is made where it actually comes in so that the two outside edges are within the square from home plate to second base, now it's 13 inches, and you can't tell me that's not... That's huge. I mean, think how many plays where the tag is inches from the base. Exactly. The base runner's out by inches. Anyway... And now you don't get the phantom tag anymore because of replay. Right. Getting back to Matt Vierling, here's a guy with great speed, 22 bases at A-ball, hasn't been a big base dealer since, minor leagues or major leagues, but you would think with that rule change, Matt Vierling is going to be a force with stealing bases... And you and I were looking at his base running. It's solid. It doesn't jump out at you. Yeah, he didn't go first to third and home, uh, second to home that much. You know, it was better than average, but not much. A simple way of looking, if you want to look on baseball reference and their base running stats, how often does he take the extra base? 45%, that's a little above league average. For a speed guy, that should be over 50%, maybe even 55%. How often do you go first to third, 
on a single, second to home on a single, first to home on a double. That's extra bases taken. I also love looking at bases taken. That's advancing on a pass ball, wild pitch, fly ball, balk, or defensive indifference because the guys who are heads-up base runners will usually have a high total 15 to 25 bases taken without making a ton of outs while they're advancing. So those are just a couple of simple numbers. And so he kind of grades out as average. But this is where good coaching is going to come in. I'll be shocked if those numbers for a guy who has great speed aren't a whole lot better. More bases taken, more extra bases taken, more steals. Well, we're going to talk to... And I think that's going to be team-wide. We're going to talk to Matt Verling at 745, and we'll ask him questions, but I wonder if that message has been given to him already. And uh, there's there's another factor. Look... uh, Sometimes we, 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 we see a, a trade and you look at Verling. And uh, the, what came out to me is, and, and why I like the deal so much, even though his war was 0.6 and people will say, oh, well, you're a war guy. Well, yeah, I am to a degree. <laughs> I understand it. And, yeah, certainly, you know, it's a, it's a big-time measurement. But uh, what really stood out to me is when I looked at the technological aspect. And sometimes it tells you a lot. Not always. Right. But sometimes yeah, a couple get, of things just filter. stick out where you know, okay, this is why they did this. Dan's pointing out to you that stealing bases is going to be a lot easier. And uh, the, the, the dynamic of the game has changed. What, what does a good organization do? Gets ahead of that. And when I looked at Verling's raw numbers, all his raw numbers were above average, except for one. His jump rate in the outfield was really bad. So what that tells me is that you can work on him to become a Absolutely. base stealer. And if you got a, a defensive instructor on how to and improve George his Lombard's jump. very good. Yeah, you know, and uh, they, they'll, in, with all the technology available, uh, there'll be things that they can do to help him and uh, point out to him, do this, 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 and that. If, if you got those tools and you got a hardworking player, and by all accounts, you know, this is somebody that is that, uh, and he's going to be 26. It was a little bit of an underrated, you know, like who are these guys mm-hmm. type of deal. And I, Maton, you know, I don't, I, you know, Maton is Maton, Maton right? right. Uh, you know, uh, to me, uh, I don't know that much about him, but I, I've seen Verling play quite a bit. He played a lot at Philadelphia last year. That was a team that I watched a lot. They were interesting, especially at the end. And uh, I did remember him briefly from when he was at Notre Dame. He played in a high-profile college program, and I do remember him from that. And there's a lot of college baseball available uh, that uh, you know somebody like me who's a little bit into it can enjoy. So it, the situation with him, very underrated with it. There is an upside there. Uh, that's why I like the trade, but you know, it's, he's not a big name, but he could be one. He could, absolutely. He's 26, Veerling's 26, Maytown will be 26 uh, next month, uh, on Maton, again, a guy who knows how to draw a walk in the minor leagues, just a little bit of major league exposure, not a ton so far. Uh, did it show some nice power at the major league level? This is a fly ball guy who can draw a walk. And, again, in his brief time in the major leagues, he's shown that he can hit a fastball. Is that something the Tigers need? Answer, yes. Yes, very much. <laughs> you know, look, and I'm not saying uh, – I'll just tell you what I what I know. I, I don't know that much about Maton with having watched him. You know, I've gone back and watched some uh, some games. I haven't seen that much of him, you know. Uh, and I really honestly didn't know that much about him when they traded for him. I had to do a lot of research on it, talk to a couple people. 
But they said he's, you know, look, he's an upgrade from what they had in that post last year. And he'll he'll help them if, you know, A.J. Hinch, uh, I thought he showed this in 2021. Uh, he has a good ability to mix and match with lineups. And I think this gives him flexibility to do it in the outfield and in the infield. But Verling is not – Verling does have an upside. He, he genuinely does. And, and Mayton, maybe, I, I don't know. Like, we'll right. find out. We'll but, find out. You know, once the season starts, that's what counts. You know, it isn't about the news conference. You know, it's about whether <laughs> these guys can play or not. And uh, we were talking about it a little bit last week. And I, uh, the bottom line about it is this team – has a lot more there than people realize. I'm not saying they're going to win the World Series and, and all this stuff, but there, there's, there are players that are going to be back. I, like I said, I'll be stunned. You know, Carpenter has power. Torkelson has power. And Green has power. Those guys aren't going to combine for 19 home runs again. Not if they get, the, you know, a lot of at-bats. Uh, you know, no way. You know, and uh, uh, Meadows, if he comes back and he's healthy and in, there's a lot of factors. Those two pitching signings they had, and people are like, oh, Matthew Boyd and Lorenzen. Look, that's stability. That's putting money, actually, into the team for mm-hmm. one year to make sure that your progression goes up. That's right. Because those two guys could very well, you know, combine for 300-plus innings and have their best year right now because they're both right where they, you know, they're going into that year more confident. We talked to Lorenzen, and I, I saw comments from uh, Matthew Boyd I know exactly where he's coming from, and his spin rate was in the top 6% last year. So they, they weren't done like haphazardly, we're just getting a couple guys. I thought these moves were well thought out. And I, Look, I don't know if Scott Harris is going to be the great general manager or not, but I think you know some of the people saying it's you know underwhelming, I think it's like, hey, man, you, you know you got to understand the way it works in baseball. <laughs> right. Look at what he inherited. Look at what he said he was going to do. He's going to shop in every aisle. He's going to add young talent. He has done those things, but he also never sugarcoated it. This is going to be a, a not going to be a quick fix, especially on the offensive side, which is why he talks about the biggest way to bring stability is with good defense and pitching, which the Tigers should have this year. And if they were totally pulling the shoot and saving money, there's no way Boyd gets a $10 million exactly. contract. No way Lorenzen gets his deal. No way. You know, they, they would have traded those guys that were up for arbitration and uh, they would have been selling Parker Meadows to you, mm-hmm. who's not ready yet. I mean, he's made some progress. But you know what I'm saying? That's, but that's not the way, I, I don't know. And then you spend the big money when you got a chance. And I believe at some point they will. But you saw it last year when they thought that they were going to do more. And they, I thought they would be better. And I, I didn't buy I did it. Too. I thought all those guys would help them. But I, I think they've got a lot of players who are going to be better this year than they were last year. And I think they got rid of the players that uh, we've all seen enough of. Not anything against them. Uh, Hitting Harold, Hit Harold, best nickname ever, you know. <laughs> Time to move on, though. How come I didn't hear him on your post-game show? Or pre-game <laughs> show? But anyway. I asked. Coming up next, we'll talk more <laughs> Tigers. we got open lines, 248-539-9797. Ticket text, same number. Miss Hitting Harold? I do. I love that nickname. You know, I, as soon as you'd say it, Hitting Harold Castle, he'd slap one to left field for an RBI. And I'd love how for a, like a week every season, he'd hit two or three, four home runs in about eight games. Just to remind <laughs> you, he can do that if you want. Yeah, if he wants. <laughs>
Hey, a guy can come off the bench and hit 98 in a pinch hitting situation. That's amazing. You know what? He did have value. He did have value. In in that way. Too bad for the DH. (laughs) 97 won the ticket. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's great to be with you. We'll take your phone calls, uh, 248-539-9797. And uh, by the way, We'll be joined by uh, Matt Furling, uh, the new Tigers uh, outfielder mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can play infield. Yeah, acquired in the trade, uh, the Soto trade from uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. And Zach, you're on Tiger Talk at 97 won the ticket. What's up, Zach? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Um, you know, I, I think I think back to what you guys are saying on the offseason, um, I think more so Scott Harris is going to be restructuring versus a rebuild. But there's a couple things that I saw that, that kind of stuck out to me uh, just from what some people are saying. So I was looking to get your opinion on um, the way the market played out with starting pitchers this year. I feel like a lot of guys got overpaid. Uh, what's the possibility you guys think Eduardo Rodriguez gets moved uh, by midseason? Uh, you know what? It, it's probably better, uh, as you pointed out astutely, than I would have thought. Um, because his contract, which when they signed him, it was like I think he's getting an average of $13 million. If he pitches like he is capable of pitching, uh, which at times with the Red Sox was outstanding, and and the Tigers are in a spot where, hey, you know what, they might be looking to make a deal. One of their younger pitchers, I'll pull a guy out, Ty Madden or somebody develops, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they Scooble's a lefty and he's you know making progress. You know, they might trade him at the deadline. And, and there's a lot of teams now that would have looked at that contract before the lockout as prohibitive who may look at it now and see it as more reasonable. Or the Tigers might have to still pay on it, but not that much. But the they could is, get some prospects back. problem is he can opt out. So if you're trading yeah, for him, what, he he could be a two-month rental. Yeah, he could be. But if he, opts out, if he opts out for the, from the other team, that's good for them. So you know, the market might be way better for him than what his actual contract is. So yeah. there is a lot. Right. I know he spent a lot of time away, but if he really comes back, like you said, and uh, pitches like he did with the Sox, then uh, I think I think it's definitely very likely of him opting out. He actually threw well for the Tigers after his few, first few right. starts, and yeah. he was coming along. And then you know he had a great game at Houston, and then he just kind of then he went he went away. So so I think he's going to average. Right. Yeah. Fifteen million a year, right, for the length of the contract? Sixteen, fifteen, sixteen yeah, million a year. I is think. that what it is? Five for okay. seventy-five. Yeah. So, so he opts out, Both and 13. he's going to get, he's going to bank that he's going to get more than fifteen million a year average value. Uh, I guess probably based on the market prices this year, that's that's true. But he still hasn't had that one great season. Um, so. I don't know, but again, it's he's, everybody he, assumes that he will. So let's assume that he will. I just don't. I'm not sure you're going to get a whole lot for him. Depends. There's you some flexibility for uh, Daniel Norris. Who well, is a, let's who is put it rental. this way: his arm will be fresh. He didn't throw that many innings last year. Uh, he's in a spot that's a money time for him. 
He didn't make money because he was on the uh, suspended list, so a lot of the income that he would have made, he didn't make. Uh, so there's a lot of factors there. I don't know. You know, I mean, this is somebody that's a bit of an unknown that way. The only thing that I know about him is uh, the upside of it is he's definitely a professional pitcher when he gets out there. He knows how to work hitters. He's got good stuff. And uh, the other thing about it, he's pitched in high-pressure, high-leverage games and performed well. So, right. Yeah. And he know. did win 19. I said he hadn't had that big season. He was 19-6 and six in 2019. So he has had that big season. No, no, he's, he's not that old. Removed. Uh, you know, coming off the the year where the Tigers felt the 470 ERA was a little bit high when they signed him because low walks, high strikeouts should have been lower. His ERA career ERA is 403, right? 415. 415, right. No, to me, this is a year where he could I do miss. something very similar to, you know, mix, mix 2019 and 2021 together. 15 to 17 wins, ERA just below four. That that all seems very realistic to me. He's a low walk, high strikeout uh-huh. guy. So at the trade the deadline, if somebody time, really wants it and you're not in the chase and somebody really wants that starting pitcher so they can go deep into the postseason, yeah, I, I'm just not sure how much you ever get for a rental. Sometimes no. you can, right. given the market, and maybe there's nobody else on the market. But some of these owners have just gone nuts. You know, some of the prices were astounding. The, the guy in San Diego, the guy with the Mets, you know, some of these, some of these owners have just gone nuts. They'll, they'll spend whatever it is. It, you know, they'll do whatever it, they they think is going to win him a championship. Now you're not going to trade him to Atlanta probably in that circumstance or a team like that, unless they're desperate for it. Or because they want to take injury. him on, knowing they they only have him for two months. Yeah, yeah. And that they just, want, they're not they're not going to be held to you know three more years because he'll likely opt out. Yeah, there's. I didn't like those contracts. I said it at the time, you know, but there could be an advantage to it. I didn't know that they would come back from the lockout. I appreciate the phone call. And uh, all of a sudden, it went from, oh, my gosh, there's a lockout. Everything is so doom and gloom to, okay, the first offseason after the lockout, you know, let's just go wild. You know, let's just get out the party hats, <laughs> all the champagne. Let's just put on a, you know, a, a, a stupor here. And you want to come on my team? How much do you want? <laughs> you know, I mean, some of this stuff is just nutso. The guy in Texas, that's another one. He, you know, he's like, look, your team wasn't very good last year. It lost 98 games or whatever. $500 million on two guys. Right. Seager and Simeon. How many lost more games? 94. Have, yeah. Now, now it's DeGrom for, what, over 150? Right? Yeah. And they've been, they got Evaldi now, right? And Evaldi. So, yeah. <laughs> Money's no object. Just go out and get some guys. And you know what? They may make improvement. You know why they may make improvement? Jordan Lawler will come up. Right, the shortstop that was taken seventh in the draft or something. That'll that'll be what will change the dynamic of their team. You know, it's like one of the things that, you know, is kind of a pet peeve. And, I, yeah, look, I got nothing against Pudge. All right, I got nothing against Maglio. I got nothing against Kenny Rogers. Those guys were terrific here. All right, so don't take it that I didn't think they were good or terrific. They certainly were. But you know why the Tigers ended up with 2006? Verlander, Zamaya. Branderson, and believe it or not, Brandon Inns was a five-point-two player, WAR player that year. And, and uh, Dave Dombrowski made value-for-value value trades, the most important for Carlos Correa, who was their best player WAR-wise, six point zero. Carlos Guillen. Carlos Guillen. Yeah. I'm sorry. He played as good as Carlos Correa <laughs> that year. 
the trades he made, I mean, look, I mean, if, if you want to make a comparison, I mean, it seems to me that's not a bad comparison. What Scott Harris is trying to do, it's going to be you're, you're building through young talent, trades. What do you have? Carlos Guillen, Placido Polanco, Marcus Timms. I mean, the guys they picked up in trade as well as free agents, as well as young players, Craig Monroe coming up from the minor leagues. It was a combination. And I think that's exactly what we're going to see from Scott Harris. Scott Harris, by the way, made a trade with Dave Dombrowski while sitting in Dave's old office, <laughs> but also came away with high marks. That's not easy to do. First of all, it's not easy to get guys who are nearly major league ready or in the major leagues that you're really interested in. That's a hard trade to make versus the guys who are in a ball, the low, you know, low level process or the high prospects who are low in the minor leagues, but to do it with Dave Dombrowski, whose trade record here was unbelievable. It was, uh, it was that, incredible. Th- that's impressive. That's well, a heck of a trade. Maybe when they have Moneyball 2.0, they'll get uh, uh, Brad Pitt to play Scott Harris and he'll slam down <laughs> on the on the desk and say, Dave Dombrowski, throw in a pop machine. <laughs> Which, uh, asking Dave about that, Dave said, uh, no, Pat, that, that never happened. That never happened. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll talk to Matt Verling coming up next. Tiger Talk, the 97 won the ticket. Now we're joined here now with, by Matt Verling, uh, one of the newest Tigers. Uh, great to have you on the show, Matt, and uh, welcome to town. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Really appreciate it. Matt, I loved reading the stories. Uh, and This is Dan Dickerson. But the uh, kind of your thoughts and your mindset after the trade and a little shocking. And every time I, you know, we always, we always take it for granted that you know, trades are part of the deal. But I always think of what, what would happen if I woke up in the morning and all of a sudden somebody said, you know what, Dan, we've traded you to St. Louis uh, for a couple of, <laughs> uh, of their broadcasters. I mean, yeah. It would be a shock. But you said after you talked to A.J. Hinch and Scott Harris, you were feeling a lot better about this trade. Can you just kind of describe the, those conversations in terms of what they said that made you feel so good about coming to Detroit? Yeah, just kind of when everything happened, obviously I didn't really – expect to get traded that day but um yeah when it happened about i would say about 45 minutes after i found out i talked to scott and i mean just hearing how excited he was and how excited he was for the team uh with all the guys on there and in the clubhouse and everything i uh i got pretty excited and then kind of as the day wore on um you know obviously when you get traded there's people reaching out your old teammates all that stuff and kind of talking with them and, and how it all went down. But then I got the chance to talk to AJ at the end of the night and kind of that same feeling, super excited, um, had plans for me. So um, after talking to both of them, just kind of reassured me that this is a really good thing and I'm pretty excited about it. I saw at Notre Dame you had played a game at Comerica Park against Central Michigan five years ago. It's six years ago now. Uh, do you know anybody on this Tigers roster? I don't know anybody other than the guys I was traded with. Um, I know Donnie. I know Nick. um, But, yeah, I don't know anybody personally yet. Well, you went to Notre Dame. It's interesting. Uh, You're a St. Louis kid, right? You're from St. Louis area. Yes. Uh, Went to Christian Brothers High School, which is a pretty big name uh, school in that area. And uh, I think Mike Shannon, the announcer there for a, a long time. Is Mike retired or is he still doing it? I think he did retire. He did retire, but he was yeah. doing the games for a long time. I'm sure he saw his picture up there in the hall a lot. And they drafted yeah. you out of high school. But they drafted you in the 30th round. 
Um, I'm kind of like interested about the dynamic of that because you were definitely higher rated by perfect game and all these other, uh, services that, uh, people like me look at and you, you chose to go to Notre Dame. Um, do you think it was the right decision to, you know, how it feels? Dan mentioned St. Louis. I thought, yeah, Verlin would like to get traded to St. Louis. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, I mean, obviously I kind of had I, I had my heart set on Notre Dame, kind of towards the end of my senior year. I I kind of just how the season went, my senior year of high school and everything like that. Um, and as the draft happened later that summer, um, I was already, I think I was getting ready to go up to Notre Dame for uh, for summer school. So I had pretty much already planned on doing it. Uh, but then the Cardinals drafted me and everything in the thirtieth round. And even then, I still had had my heart set on Notre Dame. But everybody always asks, you know, it's the Cardinals and everything like that. And you're you're from St. Louis, so right. it definitely had an effect on me. And I wouldn't say I thought twice about it, but the fact that the Cardinals did definitely generated some buzz. And I think it was a cool thing um, that they did, and uh, kind of a cool thing. I can always say I was drafted by the Cardinals, but at that point in time, I yeah, I had already I'd already been set on going to Notre Dame. So. The one, the one thing that really stood out when they made the trade for you, and has a lot of people uh, looking at it and saying, "Well, he's he's 26 years old," which is when players start to really start to blossom. The experience matches talent about that age, and your foot yeah. speed, you know, uh, 97 percentile, 20th fastest runner among all these great athletes. Um, and I, I have a feeling that one of the things that you may be asked to do, and maybe the Tigers have talked to you about it. Uh, steal bases, uh, go from first to third, uh, second to home, first to th- uh, score on balls up the gap. It's a bigger ballpark even with the changes. And uh, have they discussed yeah. that with you? And uh, is that start part of your process? Yeah, no, they haven't talked specifically about, you know, we want you to steal more bases or do any of that stuff. Haven't really gotten to the nitty-gritty of everything just yet. But um, after talking with those guys and some of the guys – on staff yeah they're definitely they've definitely seen my speed and they feel like they could possibly utilize that more and and that's definitely an asset to my game so however way they want to use my speed and and whatever it is I'm I'm always you know on board for that and I definitely think I could get more out of myself as far as speed wise with stolen bases and and maybe liking out a couple more doubles and the triples and that type of stuff and maybe even making more plays in in the outfield and Heck, even infield. So it's, uh, yeah, definitely haven't talked specifically about it, but definitely want to use that more in my game coming over there. Talking with Matt Veerling, one of the three players picked up in the Gregory Soto deal. Matt, Scott Harris puts a big emphasis, as does AJ, uh, on the type of person that the team is getting in this trade, not just the baseball player. And they do a lot of digging on that. They want to know about what what makes you tick and, and what – what kind of player you are and what, what you're doing when no one's watching, what would you describe? How would you describe yourself to Tigers fans? Because Scott Harris said, I want players who are desperate to win. And you were part of something pretty special in Philadelphia. Yeah, no, as far as me goes, I'm, I mean, I just love to work hard. I, I think I have a great work, work ethic. I, I have a lot of joy in doing what some people might think the boring stuff, you know, hitting <laughs> off a tee or, or, you know, flips or just little outfield drills. I really like that stuff. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and something I noticed being over in Philly is that 
I mean, really, all of us enjoyed the the boring stuff. <clears throat> we had little machine games, machine uh, batting practice before games, and you know, we'd get half the team out there out out there competing against each other, and just a cool atmosphere. And and it was like everybody liked doing the small stuff, and I think that's a huge proponent to success. And um, yeah, I, I really think that for me personally, my work ethic uh, is something I really value and something I really like. So hopefully, I can bring that over and and you know maybe rub off on some of the other guys as far as that goes yeah the, the the dynamic between players is always interesting and when you add certain personalities and certain work ethics to a clubhouse it can it can become infectious and i i think of your time with Kyle Schwarber who clearly just the little bit i've read about him especially during that incredible run by the Phillies at the end of last year. This is a special guy in terms of the outsized impact he has, not just with his bat, but on everybody around him. Can you describe Kyle Schwarber and the impact he had on that team and what you learned from him? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I learned a lot from him. Um, He helped me tremendously on and off the field, just how to act in the clubhouse and, and just, he was, you know, one of the leaders on that team as far as on and off the field. So um, just some of the things he does and, and even talking, hitting with him, he helped me a ton. So, um, you know, learning from him and, and some of the stuff he does as far as, you know, leading the guys and, and being a, he's really just a great guy in the clubhouse. Any someone you could go up to and talk to about anything. Um, he's always, you know, available to talk or, He's always messing around, having a good time. He loves to have a good time. So, yeah, he um, likes to keep it loose, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, and I think that's <laughs> that's such a, a cool, you know, trait that he's got. He just keeps it loose, and at the same time, he's focused and all that stuff. But I would say the main thing I took away from him is that he's just the same guy every day. Um, yeah. Whether it was like, you know, we played bad the day before, or you know, we played great the day before, he was really the same guy every day, which just keeps everything consistent. So yeah, those 500 foot home runs too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of it can, hard to be the same guy after that. Huh? Yeah. I mean, what a <laughs> tremendous uh, power. Uh, yeah. The stroke he showed in the postseason. I get asked this question a lot and I can't answer it because uh, I never played college baseball and I didn't play in the minor leagues and uh, the major leagues like the ascent that you've had. But I try to explain that there's a very big difference between college level pitching and performance uh, compared to what you see in professional baseball, you're kind of the ideal guy to talk to about that. You played in one of the two big power conferences. I mean, you could maybe say three, but ACC and SEC have a reputation uh, of its own. You saw the best college. But what's the difference between even the Friday and you know starters in college compared to what you see in the major leagues and even up through the minors? Yeah, I mean, I would say in college – you definitely have some top end talent, especially in those big time conferences. Um, being a hitter and facing those pitchers, those pitchers might have good velo and one good off speed pitch, but rarely do you find someone with, you know, three or four elite pitches. I feel like as you slowly go up through the minor leagues, you start to see some of these guys have a really good fastball, a really good curveball, and then they'll mix in a changeup and a slider that are can be devastating at times if they throw it right. Whereas in college, you might get a guy that can locate, you know, one, two or three pitches, but maybe not the elite stuff that some of those guys have. And then just really the control of the pitchers. Um, as you go up through the minor leagues, you can see they start to 
figure out themselves and they can they know where they can pitch and get guys out and they become consistent with it um and then just like the quality of the fielders they make better plays you know as you keep going up through the through the system up into the big leagues they cover more ground they're faster um so definitely the talent level is doesn't isn't far between once you get to the big leagues but um it's it's definitely a huge difference from college um up into the big leagues for sure Hey, Matt, we enjoyed the conversation. Good luck to you, and uh, look forward to you playing for the Tigers. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm excited as well. Thank you, Matt. And you get to meet all your new teammates just a few weeks. (laughs) Yes, sir. Coming up soon. Look forward to seeing you in Florida. There you go. That was Matt Burling, uh, one of the newest uh, Detroit Tigers. Dan, as always, fastest hour in radio. (laughs) Goes fast. We'll see you next week on Tuesday next week. And for me, Pistons Weekly is coming up next. We'll talk about the Pistons. Uh, it's the 97 won the ticket.